the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. Well, this is Heart of the City. My name is Chuck Olmsted. I'm the Director of Local Ministry Development for KGNW Radio, and I'm really pleased to meet with you every Sunday at this time as we talk uh, and share with various leaders uh, and ministry leaders and pastors here in the Seattle area and have a special guest today. His name is Hyland Slobotkin, and uh, Hyland has, uh, has a ministry here in the, um, in the Newcastle area, Betikva House of Hope, and also has a program on KGNW. Uh, welcome this morning, Hyland. It's nice to be on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's good to have you on the other side of the mic. You and I were were talking before uh, we started recording here, and realized that you are just wrapping up your tenth year on KGNW. Correct. Pretty amazing. It is. We amazing. should have some kind of uh, anniversary party. I, I suppose. think so. I think we should because uh, that's great. You know, we have some of our uh, longtime ministry programmers that have been on. Since KGNW started 30 years ago, I think we counted seven programs that have been on over 30 years now. Well, that's a good sign of not just longevity, but of faithfulness and of uh, productivity and a good word for KGNW. It is. It yeah. is. And, you know, and, and we're, we're pleased with that. And we, we love our national programs. And we also specifically love our local churches and local pastors who are on the air because, you know— we we love Alistair Begg. We lo- we love some of these national ministries. But when someone gets sick, they can't call Alistair, you know, to come to the hospital and visit them. Or if there's a family crisis, that's not going to happen. He's a great teacher. But it is local pastors. It is local ministries that are the boots on the ground here in this area. And so we appreciate you. And and uh, you know, heart of the city. One of the reasons, as I was sharing with you, that that we do this program is is there is great teaching on the air. And, and but there's a story behind it. There's a reason why uh, you teach and you preach and proclaim in your congregation and also on KGNW. And the Lord has done something in your heart from many years ago that that puts you into this place now, many years later. And we want to hear that story. I love to hear the stories of the faithfulness of the Lord. And so, as we do this as a part of Heart of the City, Highland, uh, let's go back. Let's let's talk about how the Lord worked in your life and, and what happened, and, and again, start at the very beginning. You grew up in this area, or where did you, where did you start your life off? Well, let me ask, how many hours do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay, so I grew up in Los Angeles, and, uh, and uh, I, by the way, I'm, I come from a Jewish family, so I'm, I, I, uh, I grew up, I went to Hebrew school as a child, and I had a bar mitzvah when I was 13, I remember they said, today you are a man, and I had no idea what that meant. You know, that's a typical thing. You know, at 13, you have a bar mitzvah, a boy has a bar mitzvah, a girl has a bat mitzvah, and you join the adult community. Well, it's a, maybe 
a couple hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, that's that, that's the way it was. Uh, a young 12, 13-year-old boy or girl doesn't really join the adult community yet. But it, anyway, it, uh, I had a bar, mitzvah, a bar mitzvah when I was 13. And uh, we we used to go to holidays, uh, Jewish festivals in the synagogue. Um, we didn't go on a regular basis. We weren't Orthodox. We were what we called conservative uh, Judaism back then. And conservative today is more like reform, more more liberal. It's become more liberal over the over the years. And so, um, when you say Orthodox, for those that don't know, what what would an Orthodox Jewish family? That's a good question. Well, an Orthodox family would go to synagogue every week. Every Shabbat, every Saturday, Friday night and Saturday, or Friday or Saturday, they'd be uh, they would keep a kosher home, mm-hmm. um, eat certain foods, not eat certain foods, wouldn't combine certain foods. Uh, they would uh, uh, not turn lights on and off on the Sabbath day because it's considered work. Hmm. Uh, coming from the verse that says, "Do not kindle a fire on the Sabbath day," I mean, I don't do that. Right, and I can. We could talk about those, sure. things. But, but anyway, an Orthodox home would be more religious, more more observant, right? And your family was not necessarily we were not. like that, we were but not. you still still went to synagogue, well, on holidays, on holidays, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't Christmas and Easter, but for Jewish holidays, it would have been Rosh Hashanah, right. Passover, Yom Kippur, mm-hmm. yeah. And so anyway, so we grew up, and me and my two sisters and my parents, I had a very functional, loving home. Lower middle class home, not a lot of money. My dad worked in auto parts. My mom sold Tupperware, right. you know. And um, uh, when I was seventeen, I said, "Dad, I need a car." He said, "Well, go buy one," you know. So I was taught the work ethic. I've been working since I'm eight years old, selling newspapers on the corner. Herald Mirror paper, five cents. <laughs> I was I was a little short, chubby eight year old selling newspapers on the corner, and I had a paper route after that. Worked. Uh, slugging hamburgers and then made pizza and parked cars and was a carpenter and laid sheetrock as I got older and always worked, always uh, had a work ethic. But in 1967, I met a young woman who was going to become my wife. Mm-hmm. And, and this uh, was in the, still the Los Angeles, Los Angeles area. area. We, we were in San Fernando Valley? Or we were, were in? in Hollywood, West Hollywood area. Got it, area. okay. Um, I grew up sort of a little bit south of West Hollywood, a little bit east of Beverly Hills, and um, and so we met, and it was love at first sight, and uh, I went to her parents. By the way, her, my wife's parents were Holocaust survivors, mm. so the Holocaust was a very important part of their lives, as you might imagine. The and that horrors. was really only 22 years previous, right? Correct. And, and so it was much more fresh than it would much be now. Much more fresh. Right. They were from Poland. Her dad had been through four concentration camps, lost a lung, was in a firing squad. The guy in front of him took his bullet. He dropped down and played dead and crawled out, crawled out of the bodies and went back into the camp. He had no, no other place to go, basically. Her, her mother was hidden for two and a half years in an attic by a Polish Catholic family. And the uh, we asked uh, we asked the, the woman who hid her why you why you did this, why you uh, sacrificed and. Um, why you endangered your whole family. Because if the Nazis found out, they would have killed everybody. Mm-hmm. She said, God spoke to me in a dream to hide the family. So that was profound for us as believers in God, right? Right. Um, anyway, so I met my wife. Um, I was a uh, road manager for a, a rock group called Canned Heat back in those days. 
I was more the equipment manager, and we would go on the road, and I was in charge of all the amps and everything. And they were kind of, they were at Woodstock, and so kind of big in, in the L.A. area. Right. And uh, we went. Our first date uh, was at a Cantheat concert because I got in for free, and I, you know, just a perfect place to take a take a, a young pretty girl. And um, now I can't imagine 1967 in Los Angeles. Things were happening as far as the. The scene back. Oh, the then. rock scene was <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. Right. We I had actually got involved with with a management company that um, that leased out the uh, a building which was the old Moulin Rouge, uh, the Earl, or originally Earl Carroll at Sunset and Vine. Or, originally, the Earl Carroll Theater back in the '30s became the Moulin Rouge, became um, the Hullabaloo, and eventually became the Kaleidoscope. It was a rock concert hall on the venue of the Fillmore and the Avalon in San Francisco back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And it was the L.A. version of it. And I was the MC. I was the guy on stage. I had long hair halfway down my back and a beard. And it was wild and crazy days, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so um, our first date, and I'll, I'll move on quickly from here. And you can interrupt me anytime yeah, you right. want because this right. is your program. Right. Um, but um, our first date... Um, I, uh, for some reason, my my girlfriend Rita picked me up in her car, and I'm driving her car. We drive to my house, and we park in my driveway, and um, uh, it's like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, and and she was supposed to be home. You know, my my mom comes over the window and knocks on, <laughs> "Hey, uh, shouldn't Rita go home?" And it's it's we're talking, we're kissing. You know, right. it's, it's ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, one o'clock, about one thirty. A car pulls up in the driveway in back of us, and, and Rita says, oh, my goodness, it's my dad. It's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow he found out yeah. where I lived from right. one of Rita's girlfriends. Right. And um, <laughs> they took her home, and, and we were inseparable. And about uh, two, three months later, maybe three, four months later, uh, I, went, I told her dad that we were going to live together. Because back in the 60s, we were hippies, let's face right. it. We were hippies. Right. We were doing drugs. We were, we were lost souls. And how old were you at that time? I was 20. 20? Rita okay. was 17. Mm-hmm. And, and she had just graduated high school. And, and I told her dad that we we're going to live together. And he said, um, if you live together, I'll kill you. And I said, then we'll get married. <laughs> he said, oh, you're not marrying my daughter. Uh-huh. And so uh, he said, well, we'll be with the rabbi and we'll settle it. We met with the Orthodox rabbi. And he said, they're in love, let them get married. And that was it. The rabbi spoke, just like in Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. The rabbi speaks, it's the law. Uh-huh. And we started to plan a wedding. We got married in August 1968. And uh, so married 48 years, just about. Congratulations. And uh, so, so after being married two years, we had gotten involved in Hinduism. We had left the drug scene, got involved in Hinduism. I wore a turban, wrapped it every morning, 18 feet long. We're all white. We, we uh, were initiated into transcendental meditation with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in 1967. Joined an ashram in 1968. We're meditating morning and night, doing yoga, wearing turban. We were totally into this Eastern religion, Hinduism. And uh, we decided to go to India and find a guru and meditate for the rest of our lives. So we're so serious about it. Mm-hmm. So we sold our cars, packed our goods, bought backpacks, hiking boots, and took off. We bought a one-way ticket to London. And we're at our going away party, and a friend of mine says to me, why'd you do this, man? I said, do what? He said, you sold everything you got, and you bought a one-way ticket to to Europe. I said, we're looking for universal truth. And he said, well, what is that? I said, I have no idea. And really, Chuck, the word just came right out of my mouth. I'd, I'd never even thought of the term before. 
And little did we know that truth, we would find universal truth, and it would be not a philosophy or a religion, but a person. Hmm. The name was Jesus at the mm-hmm. time. We call him Yeshua now. Right. Um, and we headed off, and we went up to uh, land in London. Long story. We ended up in Switzerland. I don't know how much time we have, but there's yeah. an interesting story of how we got there. Well, we, tell, us, tell me about it. Okay, okay so here's a piece of it. We went to a... Uh, we were getting... We were in London looking for a vegetarian restaurant because Hindus don't eat meat, so we were vegetarians. And we got lost in the Soho district, which I found out later was not the best district to get lost in. Not Anyway, and, and so a man came out from a side street. We, we asked him if he knew where this restaurant was. He said he did. He'd walk us there. He's walking us there. And on the way there... Turns out he's a Christian. He's witnessing to us. Well, I'm thinking, first of all, I'm Jewish, and, and we're into Hinduism. We're not interested. But he walked us to the restaurant, came back about 20 minutes later with a book. And the book was The God Who Is There by Dr. Francis Schaeffer, who we had never heard of. Mm-hmm. He said, here, take this book. And as we traveled, Rita and I read the book. And in the back of the book was an invitation, a description of Labrie, the community in Switzerland where Francis Schaeffer um, was the the leader of it, and and uh, they were he was inviting people to come and learn about Christianity, and we thought, well, maybe as one of our stops in our big trek to India, we may be there, and and then we went down to the Isle of Wight two weeks later. There was a big rock concert, six hundred thousand hippies on the Isle of Wight, south of New England, in the in the Channel, English Channel, and it was so crazy there. And there's so much drugs there that we decided to get out of that scene and go up on a hillside and camp out. We camped right next to two guys whose names were Robin and Will. We found out later those weren't their real names. They were like Robin Hood and Will Scarlet. Yeah. But those are their, their traveling names. And everybody's going somewhere. So they said, so where are you guys going? And I said, well, we're going to India to find a guru. I mean, it sounds silly now. I just... Speaking with you but, uh, right here, but that's what we said. Yeah, and uh, and understanding the late '60s and early '70s, I get it. You know, we were <laughs> I mean, serious. We were we were going to go to India. You know why? Yeah. George Harrison went to India. Yeah, yeah, and he came back and he said, you know, oh, it's all this. You don't need to do drugs anymore. And this other guy named Richard Alpert, who worked with Timothy Leary on the LSD experiments, he went to India and he gave some LSD to a guru. And the guru said, so what? I'm here all the time. He came back as Baba Ram Das in saffron robes and a long beard, telling all us hippies, you don't need to get stoned anymore. Just need, and that's how we got involved in Hinduism, by the way, through Baba Ram Das, Richard Alpert, because we were doing LSD before that. And we stopped all the drugs. And uh, so we're, we're, we, we tell these two guys we're going to India to find a guru, and one of them says, well, we found the guru of the West. The guru of the West. I said, who's that? He said, well, his name is Francis Schaefer. And I said, wait a minute. And I pulled the book out of my backpack. Right. This guy? Yeah, that's the one. So that was kind of interesting. We thought it was an interesting coincidence. Later on, toward the end of the week, there was a book table with all of Francis Schaefer's books at this concert with people from... Labrie. Huh. Okay, so that's the third time. Yeah. Interesting. Um, fast forward a couple of weeks, and we're, we're now in Lausanne, Switzerland. And we go into a bookstore. We go right to the religious section, which was, was, which was our habit, our practice. And right in the middle was, was in big red letters, Labrie. It was the Labrie story by Edith Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's wife. And I said, Rita, come here a second. Look, it's that place. I opened up the book, and there was a map how to get there. Wow. <laughs> Literally a map, a map. in uh-huh. the book of uh-huh. how to find Labrie. Uh-huh. 
And so we end up going to Labrie. And we we're we're hitchhiking. Some Swiss guy drove us two hours out of his way and dropped us off at the front lawn of Labrie, and they were full. There was no place to stay. Frankie Schaefer met us. He was in charge of room assignments. He was 19. Mm-hmm. I was I was at that point I was 22, 23, and uh, we slept on the Schaefer's dining room floor on the linoleum the first night. There was no room in the inn. Right. And the second night, we slept between shelves in the library, a very narrow floor space. And the next night, a Christian couple heard about these two lost Jewish hippies who needed a room, and they left early and gave us their room. And to wow. this day, I wish I knew who they were. Yeah. We have quite a story to tell them. Um, so these... This turns out it's a Christian community. And, and how and, many people are, like, in this community? I mean, is it, like, 20 or is it 50? Or? Okay, so it was a little Swiss village. Uh-huh. About 100 Swiss lived there and about 100 Labrie people. Okay. And of the 100, probably half are staff and half are visitors, half are students. Turns out that Francis Schaeffer is a well-known theologian and philosopher and author, and he was a pastor, and but we had no idea who he was. Right. But we read the book and we're intrigued about the God who is there. He's not silent, and he speaks, and, he, and you can see him everywhere. So, so they start telling us about Jesus. And I said, look, it, I'm Jewish. Jesus is not for Jews. Jesus is, is for Christians. And I didn't know anything. Really. Right. And they said, but Jesus was a Jew. I said, yeah, I, I, I know that, but I, I don't know how it all works together. But they knew a lot about Israel and a lot about our people. And I said, how do you know so much about my people? And they said, well, it's in the Bible. Haven't you read the Bible? It's your book, you know. <laughs> and I go, well, no, I never thought about the Bible. The last thing I would think about, and the last place I would go for truth hunting or for religion, because we saw the, the hypocrisy in our family's religion. Mm-hmm. But we were intrigued by their, their knowledge of Israel and the Jewish people, and we began to read the Bible for the first time. Mm. And there were a few people that worked with us. One named Daryl Miller, great guy, showed us the Jewish prophecies in the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. And we really couldn't ignore those. Those are there's some astounding scriptures, which I could share if you want. And then there's another guy named Oz Guinness, and Oz Guinness is now... He's in Washington. He's fairly well-known. He's on his 26th or 27th book, and he was writing his first book, The East, No Exit, all about Hinduism. And he, had just, he was raised in China as a missionary kid, just, just got back from India, and he gently and lovingly ripped apart our Hinduism mm. and showed us the inconsistencies and reincarnation and, and just the the impersonalness of the religion and the the time is cyclical, there's no beginning, there's no end, all these things. It just started, he he helped us understand why that wasn't a viable option. And between Daryl Miller and Os Guinness and Dr. Schaefer and his preaching and his teaching, um, we arrived there the second week of November. Two weeks later was Thanksgiving. So we're having Thanksgiving night. We had a nice turkey dinner, go to the chapel, and Dr. Schaefer's serving communion. I didn't know what communion was. Mm-hmm. And they take out these kind of these silver trays with little plastic cups in them. Right. And I go, well, that's interesting. What are those for? And then they pull out another silver tray with broken pieces of matzah. And I'm thinking, matzah? It's not Passover. Why do they have matzah? You know, unleavened bread. Right. And Dr. Shaver starts talking about Jesus crucified, 
dying on the cross, and I'm sitting on the floor cross-legged, and I have what was what I what became known as a vision. I had in my mind a picture of me standing at the foot of the cross. I'm looking straight up, and there's Jesus. I'm right next to the cross. I'm my my neck is is strained straight up, looking way up at him, and I see him crucified and bleeding, and a drop of his blood hits me in the forehead. And in my vision, I flinch. I'm startled. His blood splashes on my forehead. And then I, I sort of compose myself and look up again. Another drop hits me in the forehead, splashes on my forehead. And I, every time I looked up, a drop of his blood would hit me in my forehead. And my forehead began to be covered with blood. And in an instant, I knew he died for me. Mm. So all of the discussions, the late night debating between Hinduism and Christianity and Judaism and all these things that we were going through and all, of the, all, all the discussion of, about uh, the prophecies, it became very personal. And there I was um, ac- accepting that Jesus died for me. I went up to my wife, Rita, and I said, Rita, you won't believe this. Now, the word Christian to a Jewish person is like fingers on a blackboard. It's another discussion. Mm-hmm. But uh, actually, we deal with some of these things on my radio program. Um, but uh, I said, Rita, you won't believe this, but I think I'm a Christian. I didn't know what she'd say. because She was raised Orthodox. And she said, I think I am too. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the two of us went up to Dr. Schaefer. Dr. Schaefer, we think we're Christians. <laughs> and he put us together with a lady from New Zealand, uh, uh-huh. Sheila Bird named Bertie. And she took us to her chalet, and she prayed a sinner's prayer with us, and we confessed our sins, and we were born again on November 26, Thanksgiving night, 1970. Wow. That's, that's sort of the beginning of our story. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, we've got about three and a half minutes left, so we've got to continue this next week. But <laughs> okay. Because we've got to hear the rest of the, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, obviously. So, so just to continue just a little bit, you obviously didn't head on to India then. We didn't make it we did not make it to India. Yeah. We realized India was going to be a dead end. Yeah. So you stayed at Labrie for a while or we what, were at ha- what happened for, next? We were at Labrie for four months. Uh Christians were coming from all over the world to study with Francis Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And they would come for a week or two weeks or a month. Uh, usually a month was about about max. Some more, um, and they would you know have to pay a certain fee to stay there per day. Um and uh uh, we ended up staying there for four months. They just nurtured us, discipled us, helped us, fed us, and we left as new baby Jewish Christians back yeah. then. We didn't have the term Messianic Jew yet. Right. We were Jewish Christians or Hebrew Christians. And we went on to Israel and spent a year in Israel because we wanted to learn how to read the Bible in Hebrew, mm-hmm. which we did, by the way. That's a part of our continuing story. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got we've got about two minutes left, and so we're going to continue this talking about this next week, obviously. But uh, Highland, share with us just uh, briefly for those that are listening, and and there's a lot of people that are maybe driving to church, or they're or they're listening on the freeway as they're they're going somewhere else or down the road, and maybe they don't have faith in Jesus, or maybe they're searching like you, or what. What would you say to them as they're as they're progressing along? Here you were in your life back in 1970, just trying to find truth, and through a series of circumstances, in comes uh, someone who you did not know, and his name was Jesus, and you found him. Take a minute and just talk to those that are listening right now that don't know him. I'd love to. So I tried a lot of things. I 
I don't know why it is that I was looking for meaning and purpose in life. A lot of my friends were not. A lot of my family were not. And um, I purposed to find something meaningful. And I tried a lot of different things. I mentioned drugs, Hinduism. We did astrology, I Ching, tarot cards, uh, had our charts read, all these things. Um, and the Bible was the last place I looked. But I want to challenge whoever's listening right now. that The Bible is the place to look that God is real, that God has a plan for your life, that he loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. It's not just about religion. It's about relationship. And Jesus, who, who, who we like to call Yeshua. Now, I become a Messianic rabbi. Maybe that'll be part two of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, God came into my heart and, and changed me, and he can change you too. Amen. Well, what's interesting about this story is is that this happened 40-some years ago, but yet that Jesus who came into Highland's life is still with him today and is with you right now. Amen. And so thank you for joining us today. We'll be back with you next week, Highland. Lord bless you, and uh, thank you for joining us today on Heart of the City. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.